uh, Marcedon is there. So dalawa, then me. The three others, uh, one migrated to the States. Uh, I don't know what he did after, but he visited. I didn't get a chance to talk to him. And then uh, another one decided to become a doctor uh, and is a professor in a medical school in the Caribbean. Imagine that. He's having the time of his life. Now, I'm in touch with him. He's the one I'm always in touch with. He's, he's quite a, an interesting guy. Yeah, we, we were a very small class. Very, very small class. And sometimes Professor Kulaba and, and I exchanged notes. I, I got to know about him because his students became, became friends of mine. My colleagues in Diliman, I, I still get the chance to visit them, but oh, rare nowadays. I get in touch with them, with them through social media, <laughs> through Facebook, uh, of, all, of all things. Yeah. Yeah, that's how you get it. But my best friend then is now a... He finishes PhD also. He, he teaches in a prep school, uh, one of those expensive high schools uh, oh. in the East Coast of the US. You know, those schools that send their graduates to the best schools in the Ivy League schools in the US. Really smart wow. guy. Really, really smart guy. By Marcedon, do you mean Marcedon Fernandez? Yes. Oh, you were batchmates with him. Well, he graduated BS Math uh, two years ahead of me. And then he continued to study physics. <clears throat> so yeah. he, had, he had two bachelor's degrees. Like engineering pa tayon, eh. Yeah, he did. He even tried law, I think. Yeah, he, he loves studying. He loves two things, studying and basketball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's very athletic. Yeah, he's very athletic. Until now, actually, he still coaches basketball. I know, and he's very passionate about it. <laughs> uh, so, Joscoro Villa Gonzalo was there. I taught for one, one sem. When I graduated, I taught for one sem, then enrolled uh, for Bio 10. I, was, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life, so I'll tell that story later. Say. I was, mis I was a misguided guy or a guy that needed guidance when, when I was 20 years old. So I wouldn't be surprised if you guys are still trying to figure out what it is that you're going to be doing with your lives. Well, that's true. That's, <clears throat> definite, that's definitely true. Even Francis, Francis, uh, he might be watching. No? I, I, I watched the tape of his interview. I hope to meet him uh, one of these days. Ah, Francis Talio. Yeah, yeah, Francis Talio. Interesting guy. Yeah, very interesting guy. I really enjoyed listening to him. The others, I, I was not able to, to listen in. Uh, but I, I took pieces like the guy in, in Japan. Uh, the guy who, uh, who's in China, who's, who's doing uh, 
what was that? I forgot specifically what was, what that was, but it was it was more geology related. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, geology. Dams. Uh, dams, yung mga ganun, no? Mm. Oh, interesting, uh, interesting. Uh, I wish I could still do hardcore science, but, you know, my calling lay somewhere else. Not too late, sir. <laughs> Maybe on the side. No, actually, I'm, I'm still kind of hardcore. We do a lot of renewable energy financing. Maybe that's hardcore enough. Plus the third bridge, uh, we led the financing of the third bridge crossing Mactan. So that's not hard science, but that's something I, I love talking about every now and then. Because I really hate the traffic in Cebu right now, especially if you have to go via Mandawe. Yeah. Uh, terrible. That's, I that's think everybody true. hates that. So once the new bridge is going to be finished, I think it's, we're hoping that it's going to be next year. I will be there. I will be there because we, my bank led the financing for that bridge. It's personal. <laughs> it's personal. And by then I hope I'd be able to visit the physics department. Yeah, hopefully when things get better and we can go back to school. Oh, nga eh. I, the building pala is named after Father Engelen. Uh, yeah. Um, oh. I think the, the next building after the science building. Ah, the, the next building after the science building. Yeah. Yeah, the, he was the, my the professor. Oh, wow. He was my professor in uh, electricity and magnetism. I remember him saying, you know, oh, he was making this sign. The right hand rule, yeah. Yeah, and I would join <laughs> him. We would always ride with him in his Brasilia going to, to our German class, which was after our electricity and magnetism class in the main building. You had language class at San Carlos? We had German because our equipment uh, had German... Uh, instructions. But these were the equipment brought from China by the German priests. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, we had those. We had those. Wow. There are still some in the labs downstairs. Oh, the okay. German instructions. Oh, yeah. So I, we had six units of German. Enough to understand a few things, but I clearly forgot that most of it, if not all. I can still pray in German because we always prayed in German. The, 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 the professor who taught us Deutsch was a, was a priest. So we always prayed, Du aber have, uh, which is like our father at the start of classes. Yeah, fond memories, fond memories. Very fond memories. Uh, two more minutes. Two more minutes. Yeah. Oh, by the way, sir, um, these other people in the uh, participants of the Zoom call, these are um, other uh, students in the physics department, other oh. undergraduate students. Good to meet you. Good to meet you. Some are in the second year, some are in the first year. They're freshmen this year. Oh, yeah. 
How big is the freshman class now? Uh, ten students. Very small, actually. Oh, ten. All in all, we're about thirty students this year. Hmm. All years. Yeah, from first oh. to fourth year. Okay. So twice as many as, or, or almost twice as many as my, my time. Oh wow. Physics still scary as a course. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so true. I don't know why we <laughs> majored in physics. We're crazy people, but you know, we all have our reasons. Starting with loving it in fourth year high school. And then there's this big time of questioning while we're still in the department. Nah, it's a it's a great preparation. Yeah. Hopefully, I'll I'll be able to put more light uh, or possibilities. No, expand on possibilities. To me, it's a great prep course. Excuse me, sir. Start now, Sige, Irvin. Okay. Hello, everyone. My name is Irvin from the Carolinian Physics and Astronomy Society, and welcome to the last and twelfth installment of this webinar series, where we'll be answering the question, "Saan naabot ang physics degree mo?" Before we start, I would like to thank our sponsors, Edward Kaluya and Claudia Siniza, for sponsoring this webinar. Today, we are joined by Mr. Eugene Acevedo, who is the president and CEO of RCBC, one of the largest banks in the Philippines. He is an alumnus of the University of San Carlos, finishing magna cum laude with his BS in Applied Physics degree. He initially took his master's in physics at UP Diliman, where he also taught as a physics lecturer, but shifted to a master's in business management degree, majoring in finance with a scholarship granted by the Asian Institute of Management. He also finished the Advanced Management Program at the Harvard Business School. Starting his banking career with Citibank in 1987, Mr. Acevedo slowly rose to a more prominent position in, in other institutions. He took hold of key positions such as President of PNB, Senior Vice President of Union Bank, and Chairman of City Savings Bank. Having also received several certifications in the field of data science, blockchain cryptocurrency, artificial intelligence, and financial technology. From prestigious schools such as John Hopkins University, MIT, Oxford University, Imperial College of London, UC Berkeley, and many others, Mr. Acevedo has capitalized on his knowledge and contributed in the digitalization of RCBC, which has been awarded as the best digital bank in the Philippines. So hello, Mr. Acevedo, how are you doing today? Good afternoon. Daghang kayong salamat that you invited me for this afternoon session. I, I was really looking forward to this. This is you know, this was the webinar I was looking forward to the most. It's an honor to have you here on our show, Mr. Acevedo. So why don't you get started anytime you like? Okay, I'll start now. Okay. Thanks, uh, and I realized I, I did a math and it has been 36 years. 36 years since I left the physics department. That's probably the reason why I've been looking forward to this session because I never had a chance to, to meet my old friends, to, to meet the new physics graduates or physics students. I, I feel a kind of kinship or relationship with, with you still, 
uh, only a few crazy individuals major in physics. So there's this kind of bond we have with each other. And I, I showed this picture. I, I, I hope you can see the slides clearly. I, I showed this picture because I was thinking, you know, there was a time that I was hoping I was born in the 1950s, no, just or late 1940s, uh, just avoiding the Second World War, but riding the accelerated pace in learning, in discoveries, in new theories, in physics. Back then, there were only a few books, so you could master, learn, and discover new things. And then I also thought about it again, and I realized that maybe I should have been born in the 2000, uh, in the turn of the, the century. Because everything has changed. Everything has changed. New possibilities. Nerds now can rule. In the past, we would say nerds rule, but you know, it was all talk. Now you see an electrical engineer and computer science major who's the richest guy in the world and closely followed and probably challenged soon by a physics major who who wants to do crazy things, crazy things that are working. Finally, you know, I've realized, and Mike, can you turn to the next page, please? It's becoming very clear to me that businesses, careers have become mathematical and digital. You know, in the last five years, I've decided to go back to school again, enrolled in certain courses and one thing I realized was many of my business professors were actually engineers, physicists, statisticians, mathematicians with master's degrees in those disciplines. And when you look at what's happening in the world, platforms have taken over Airbnb, Grab, Amazon, and in and in learning, in education, you have EDX or, and Coursera, platforms that were built by young, young entrepreneurs with CompSci engineering and very technical backgrounds. So what has happened, and you've seen this, is that tourism, taxis, bookstores, schools, and now even banking, are being challenged and traditional businesses are dying. So I dare say that the future belongs to those who are instinctively digital and quantitatively unafraid. Now let's go back to my story first before we, uh, we deal with the serious stuff. Next page, Mike. Why physics? I'll start with showing a, a picture I had with, I'm not sure whether you, you recognize any of them. You probably do. That's Helen, Cheryl, Joy, and, and with his arm around me is Dean Monching, uh, who was a professor already when I was finishing my undergrad. He still remains to be a good friend. You know, at that time, uh, I was uncertain about my future. In high school, I, I remember when I was in my second year, 
I won the regional science quiz in biology. I always loved biology. So I, I was entertaining the thought until I was fourth year that I was going to be a doctor. And then fourth year came and I decided physics was the better science. You know, you sit down, you listen, you figure it out. You don't have to study afterwards. You get it, that's it. It's in there in your head. When exam time comes, you just pour it in. It's thoroughly enjoyable. At that time, I was quite busy with extracurriculars. I, I was editor of the school paper. I chaired the student council. And I was trying to balance three things, even in high school. I was balancing extracurriculars, my academic interests, and my extra interests outside of the academe. I, I love to read about things thoroughly unrelated to school. And then I got the DOSD scholarship, which kind of forced the decision. And my parents did not want me to go to Manila. They persuaded me to go to USC. Uh, the physics program was great. I was told, which was true. And the other thing here that really influenced their decision was that my cousins in Manila were leading demonstrations. Uh, a second cousin of mine was, was president of the uh, League of Filipino Students or the NUSP, one of those. A national president. And they, they were afraid I was going to end up marching instead of studying. So okay, so to Cebu, I went. Now, a certain line I'll add, when I, when I got to San Carlos, the physics department in my first year was in the basement of the main building. Tells you how important we were. Okay? It tells you how important we were. We had all, with a few classrooms crowded, it was good that on our, my second year, we moved to, uh, to Talamban, to a much, much better location. In San Carlos, I was doing the same thing I was doing in high school. I was doing extracurricular activities. I was reading about things unrelated to, uh, to school. And I did not pay much attention to, to my grades. I, I wasn't going for flat ones. It wasn't important to me. Uh, which I regretted later. I just wanted to be able to run a balanced life because at that point, I wasn't sure what I was going to be doing. What influ another influence uh, to me was back home in Surigao del Sur, my father worked for a paper company and the bright guys in the paper company became managers at age 30 and assistant vice presidents by the time they reach 40. So I was thinking maybe that's what I should be working for. I can do this, graduate with honors, have extracurriculars and be in a good position to join, uh, to join the company later. So there I was. I remember the chairman of the physics department was a bit frustrated with me because I was always heavy into extracurricular. So she gave me this uh, funny degree. She said I was uh, BS, major in extracurriculars, minor in physics. And she kept saying that to me because I led the science student council. I was treasurer of the forerunner of the student government. 
I was Math Physics Society President, DOST Scholar Society President. And when the political parties, uh, the first constitutional convention, I was a delegate in, uh, I initially joined STAND, but I decided I was too much of a right winger. So I joined the predecessor of uh, uh, the Tingog party. So I still have connections to the Tingog guys. So I had a, an extremely busy college life. I was also a peer counselor, God, you know, I can't remember what else I did, but I had a full life as a student, not knowing exactly what I was going to do afterwards. And then after I graduated, I taught for one year, I was for one SEM, uh, for one SEM in USC. Then around, uh, around the middle part of the year, just before the SEM break, uh, DOST used to be called uh, NSTA during my time, National Science and Technology Authority, uh, sent me a letter saying that uh, I was chosen to receive a National Science and Technology Award for Academic Excellence in Science. Uh, so I, of course, I was happy you know, when I heard that and they asked me to fly to Manila, uh, go to UP Diliman to receive my medal from the, from the head of DOST. In that program was the chair, was the dean of the College of Science. And when he met me, I found out that he had a PhD in physics. Uh, his name was Roger Posadas. He says, said, why don't you take your master's here? Uh, basically gave me ideas, said, be a, be a lecturer. Uh, the, I asked sir how I was how how was I gonna do about uh, how I was how was I going to do this? He said, "No, it's simple. The office is just right across from this building. Look for this guy named Christopher Bernido. Familiar face, a familiar name, right? So I go over, met Chris, who thankfully spoke Bisaya. Great guy. He's now a visiting professor uh, in San Carlos. He was my boss." So they, they, they tested me uh, and I came back after the assembly break, uh, enrolled in the MS physics course and started teaching. I think I did well because the, during that summer they assigned me the, the honors class, the intermed class, uh, usually the top 50 uh, in the UP uh, entrance gets invited to, to that class, I was told. It was a tough one, but I enjoyed it immensely. So there I was teaching. But while I was there, you know what I, I discovered? You know, I, I got close to the faculty members. They were all my, my age. We had junior faculty and senior faculty. Uh, Yanga was in the senior faculty, but the young ones, you know what they were reading? they were reading management books and they were exchanging management books with each other. I was like, what's wrong with you guys? You're supposed to be taking your PhDs. Why are you into this? I found out why. There was a UP physics alumnus who was a senior vice president in BPI during that time. And there was another recent, uh, recent uh, Magna Cum Laude graduate 
who was a scholar in the Asian Institute of Management. While I was thinking about it, just by sheer coincidence, I sat beside a graduate student. He was the brother of in a jeepney. No, so it was a long ecot. I used to ride a jeepney. In that ecot ride, I, was sat, I sat beside this really amiable guy who was talking to me about his kuya, who was a scholar in AIM. So, you know, all those things happened. And I said, ah, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I just uh, got accepted into the Ateneo Masters in Computer Applications program. I was sure by that time I was not going to be a doctor. I also was enrolled in the UP College of Law. I mean, I just had my basis covered just in case. And then AIM gave me a scholarship that pretty much settled everything. That settled everything. Uh, the other thing that also settled the decision for me quickly was by the time my father had to retire early from his job, the paper company he worked for got into financial difficulty, was close to bankruptcy. So he had to retire early. I did not want to be a burden to to my family's finances. So there I was, 21 years old. I was the youngest student in my AIM class. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it because I realized much later, not immediately, that finance, like quantitative analysis, was all math. My teacher was a chemistry major who, when he met me, said, you know, I want you to do well because we scientists, we have to show these business grads that we can do better than them or something along those lines. So what would happen is there would be quizzes at the start of the, uh, start of the session. And, you know, you start at the same time. And then whoever finishes first raises his paper, no? And that was fun for me. I was a 21-year-old, naive, annoying guy. So I would raise my hand quickly. Uh, and, you know, it, to me, it was just mathematical. Uh, and I enjoyed it. I learned my finance there. And later, I also found out that uh, the guy sitting next to me, really uh, humble guy, he was uh, soft-spoken. He was a West Pointer. He was a star cadet, summa cum laude, was a physics major. He later uh, left our class in his fourth year, uh, on, on the second year, he, after the first year, he left us uh, because he had a scholarship at Cornell to study masters in nuclear engineering. He, he now has a PhD in, in nuclear engineering and he runs a mining company uh, in Masbate. He's still a good friend of mine. So it was, it was all fun. The other thing I also found was that physicists were always among the top notchers in AIM. The batch before me, the, among the top four graduates in the batch before me was the Kuya, was the brother of the guy I sat with in the jeepney. No, uh, his name is Hill Henio. Uh, Hill is, uh, now the chief technology officer or chief strategy officer of Globe Telecom. See, another physicist uh, to add to your list. And then in the batch uh, after me, I think the number two in their class 
was also a, a physics major who remains my friend. And yeah, in my batch, a physics major topped my class as well. That was me. The good thing about topping your class in AIM is, next page please, Mike, is you get interviewed first. Uh, people would call, that was 1987. Uh, there were only three banks, uh, three companies looking for, for people to employ. It was hard to look for a job. Uh, at that point, Citibank was my only alternative. So I, Citibank called me and basically they said, uh, they were going to interview me first before they interview everybody else. Uh, I got the job uh, ahead of time. I still remember, you know, Lisud Prat. I, I did not have money at that point. I only had one tie. I had to walk to Citibank for my interview. Good thing they did not interview me two days successively because then I would be wearing exactly the same set of clothes. Uh, but I got the job and I was very happy because at the time, at least this was the press release that time, uh, Citibank was the University of Banking. Still is to a large extent. At the time when I graduated from AIM, I think at least half or two thirds of the bank presidents were alumni of Citibank. So I entered as an executive trainee uh, and my first job was in operations. Then one day out of the blue, uh, the head of investment banking asked me to go to his room. Uh, in his room were a crew of uh, merchant bankers, all vice presidents, and they were facing a whiteboard. It's just full of, of calculations and formulas. And they said, Eugene, there's something wrong with the calculations. We cannot figure it out. There's something lacking. Can you figure this out, please? I said, uh, they was looking blankly at one of the ladies and the lady said, oh, I told him to look for you because you're a physics major. I found that night, I figured out what the answer was. And the next day I told them exactly what the answer was. And when they redid the calculation, the numbers came out right. That was the reason why they got me into the trading room, uh, initially to be a treasury marketing officer, but I ended up trading interest rates and foreign exchange. You know? I think a big part of why I moved was because I figured out this mathematical problem that they posed. As a trader of interest rates and foreign exchange, you have to go through a training program and it's a regional training program. They throw you in with uh, traders from various countries, uh, Indian, Singaporeans, Chinese, etc. cetera. Uh, so we all got together. That was my first trip ever. Uh, my first passport. I think I was 25 years old when I traveled for the very first time, had my passport. I had no clue. Uh, I was scared, uh, Provinciano scared of making a mistake. Uh, so I was there, studied very hard. I always do, I always study very hard. I topped the course. I won almost all the awards there. So when I came back, 
the treasurer found out that I did well and he says, okay, since you did well, I'll assign you to a specific program. And that was the, the one-year exchange program with audit. The idea there was you join the audit team as a traveling treasury specialist and you get to audit London, Sydney, Japan, Taipei, Hong Kong, and, and a few other market centers. So for, for one year, I did nothing but travel the world uh, and, learned, and learned a lot. It was scary. It was a scary job because if you're an auditor, you have to challenge some people. So I remember going to uh, the trading room in Sydney, challenging one chief dealer who was a big guy who was a rugby player. Uh, what worked for me was that I was Filipino. Apparently, in the Sydney dealing room, they hire you if you're Filipino or you're a rugby player because their former treasurer was a Filipino. So they liked a Pinoy's, thankfully. Uh, I learned a lot there. Uh, as an auditor, I was unpopular because I knew my job. So as soon as the, the Asia head found out that uh, I was causing troubles, he made a decision to change my career. He told me that I was coming back sooner. I was not going to be in audit uh, for too long. He was moving me to Hong Kong to join the derivatives marketing team. Now, I'm not sure whether you guys have, have heard of derivatives. These are swaps, uh, options, and other fancy financial derivatives. At that point, this was cutting edge finance. The derivatives teams in various banks were composed of highly quantitative people. Uh, in my team was a physics PhD from Caltech, uh, another PhD that did, that did option pricing. We had uh, math majors, et cetera. It was like a faculty, you know, we could if, if we were a university, we could grant degrees. That was how powerful the, the group was. And I, I, I felt a bit inadequate because I only had an undergrad degree, but at least I was a physics major. I could figure out how to do difficult pricing. I came back to the Philippines after that. And in 2001, they decided to move me to Singapore to be Asia head of derivatives and structuring uh, based in Singapore. Uh, that was a difficult job because yeah, I wasn't sure whether I could really handle it. It was, uh, we, we were up against Goldman Sachs. We were up against the very, very, very savvy uh, investment banks in the US, the French, etc. We were just starting our derivatives business. It was, it was scary going up against uh, the big players, but you know, we just had to make sure we had a real strategy. Uh, we trained all our people. I, I, I traveled almost every week to, to another country just to make sure that the sales teams were we're meeting customers, offering the right products, and we're, we're very good at what they do. I would watch them present. I needed to make sure 
my salespeople were the best, my, my derivative sales and structuring uh, officers were the best in the country and could compete with, with all the other foreign bank, uh, for, with all the other foreign bankers we were up against in those specific locations. It was fun. It was fun, but oh man, was it stressful. It was very, very stressful. And then three years after that, in 2004, I found out that the position for country treasure in the Philippines was open. It was an emotional thing for me because I joined, I joined CD Bank to be country treasurer. That was really my dream job, to run the trading room uh, of Manila. My boss wasn't very happy with it. He says, okay, do that, but we will remove you as soon as we find another place for you. Just enjoy it for a bit. And one year after, they told me I was going to move to run the treasury of a financial center, which was Hong Kong, uh, which was a major move. I did that for four years. And at a certain point, I realized that I can't be an expat forever. I need to go back to the Philippines to rebuild my network and have roots. I had two boys. I needed to make sure that uh, they had connections to, to our home country. So at 45 years old, I accepted a job to be president of Philippine National Bank. Now in the next page, Next page, please, Mikey. So these are, I was just amused. So I, I took a picture of all my business cards. I still have them. And uh, let me highlight uh, something here. No, uh, I started, my first rank was authorized signer, which is below assistant manager. Uh, that was in 1987. So I moved up by 30, I was a vice president based in Hong Kong. By 40, I was a managing director in the Philippines and then in Hong Kong. A managing director is an important position because it's like partnership. It's the, being an MD is the highest rank you can ever get in Citibank. Once you're an MD, you just change positions along, but uh, young people aspire to be managing directors. That's like their, uh, their dream rank. Because once you get promoted to managing director, there's a special announcement that's done every, every around February of the year. Uh, the walls, your name and the names of the other promotees to managing director are posted or published in the New York Wall Street Journal. I still have a copy of that. No? So, so my name appeared in the in the Wall Street Journal to say uh, Citibank promoted the following managing directors. So it was, at least when I got promoted, it was a big thing for me. And actually what it reminded me was that it was time to start looking for a job outside of City, uh, out of, outside of Citibank before they pushed me out. <laughs> Next page, please. I stayed for close to a year and a half in, in PNB. And 
I got a call from one of my mentors. Two of my mentors in Treasury, in Citibank, were the chairman and president of Union Bank, and they were looking for their successors. And they were very, very convincing. I trusted them. Uh, they continue to be my mentors until now. And they told me, you know, they were preparing me for a senior senior position in in Union Bank, and the kind of culture that they had there was very similar to the culture I was used to uh, in Citibank. So I got in my first. My first big assignment was the acquisition of City Savings Bank. Uh, that was in 2013, actually 2012, which was closed in 2013. Uh, if you've been paying attention to City Savings Bank, I'm not sure whether you, you, you know where the locations are. Um, in the last seven years, City Savings Bank tripled its network, uh, its balance sheet, uh, increased by five times, its profitability increased by five times. Uh, that was because we were transforming City Savings Bank. That was one of my jobs. Um, how we did it, maybe I should tell a bit of the story. Now, City Savings Bank uh, is a lending institution. Uh, it's it's its biggest business is consumer lending. And when we're looking at the financial statement or the income statement of, of the bank, this is what we saw. Uh, the yields were going down. I'm not sure whether you guys are familiar with, with yields, but let me just tell you that they used to earn on their loans about 20%, but it was coming down fast. And by the time I... I was chairman of the bank, the yields were closer to 10%, but their expense base was 6% plus their funding cost was another 3%. So there was very little margin left no, uh, for profit. So what did we do? My COO was an electrical engineering major of San Carlos, name is Levy. So we've been thinking about it and we said, Lev, the credit decision, which is manual, should be automated. There were only very few parameters. And based on those parameters, once we see them, we can easily put them into an algorithm so that instantaneously, right after the fields were completed and the clerk hits enter, the system would immediately spit out an approved or disapproved. So Levy worked on it for, for a while. He did a fantastic job. Uh, and as a result of that, you know, once you automate, the operating expenses shrunk from 6% to 3%. So suddenly we had three more percent uh, available margin, which was a lot of money, right? If you're, if you're, uh, balance sheet is 50 billion pesos, 3% of 50 billion is 1.5 billion of extra income. We saved an another 2% from other things. So in the end, we ended up saving up to 5% of that 50 billion, uh, 
50 billion balance sheet. If you do your math, that's over 2 billion additional income. So it was interesting. We hired many USC majors, IT, you know, engineers, math majors. But my disappointment was there was no physicist in our departments. We couldn't hire any physics majors. So okay lang, no? as long as we hire math majors, IT majors, I'm fine with that. And they did a fantastic job. We also set up a data science team because we realized that we needed to do uh, credit scoring early on. No? Uh, I'll explain data science much later. Then at that point, uh, years after, I decided that I needed to retool, I needed to relearn, I needed to re-equip myself with a new set of skills. As soon as I did, when I, I was interviewing then and when I accepted the job in RCBC, the first thing I did was I started relearning and learning new things. So I, I got a data science certification from Johns Hopkins uh, did extra courses on, ED, uh, on, on edX and Coursera, uh, did a course on blockchain and crypto, uh, did another course in AI and robotics, which happens to be my favorite uh, type of technology. I'll, I'll be talking about these things later. Uh, did all those other courses in digital transformation and even had myself certified as a digital marketing professional. You know, the world was changing. We were warned as bankers that we either go digital or go bust. And as the leader, the incoming leader of RCBC, I needed to equip myself because I cannot be a digital banker if I did not at least know the theory. I cannot just learn this on the job and make crazy mistakes. But before I go ahead, I wanted to, to add something as a reminder here. Tech skills are a must, but to really stand out, leadership skills are more important. So if, so if I credit the physics department for, for fixing the way I would think, for being a critical thinker, I would also credit the student affairs office for making me go through all those leadership programs early on. Uh, no, really, no joking. It's, it's uh, all, I, I think I must have gone through three or four leadership programs as a student leader in San Carlos. I think those were incredibly helpful. I really owe San Carlos for that. You know, both my physics degree and the training I got in leadership. Next page, please. So in 2019 and 2020, the nerds became bankers. Now, let me tell you where I'm getting my, my hires now to give you an idea. You know? uh, my data science team is composed mostly of, of uh, statistic majors and mathematical finance majors from, uh, the stats are from UP, Diliman or UPLB. The mathematical, mathematical finance majors are from Ateneo. And many of them are taking their, their MS in stats have taken the MS in stats. There is an MS analytics program in Mapua, uh, but there's also a really good program. You know, you've heard of this. Many of you have heard of this. 
a really good program in data science, a master's in data science at AIM. Uh, by the way, I'm a trustee. Uh, I'm, I serve in the board of trustees of AIM. So if you need my help later, let's sort it out. I'm on Facebook, Eugene S. Acevedo. You can send me a note there. I'm on Instagram as well, ESA underscore Acevedo. So feel free to send me a note. Don't be shy. Okay, so I also have a digital banking team, mix of uh, technical guys and, and business majors who are very tech savvy uh, and a lot of app developers. We've been hiring significantly, uh, we've, we've substantially up our hiring in operations and technology because we need more and more of these types. Uh, but out, other, other than uh, outside of ONT and data analytics, we need hardcore quants for risk management for treasury and uh, investments. Those of you who want to go via this route can take your CFA designation. That's probably the best preparation if you don't want to take your MBA. The physics degree can lead to all these opportunities. Now, yeah, I've been thinking about this. I was saying, I was asking myself, so what I'm gonna recommend to you. I think after you take your physics degree, depending on where you want to be, you need to take another certification program. If you want to go the finance route, take the CFA designation or take your MBA. Where? Go to AIM. If you graduated with honors, just like what I did, especially if you've served in, in extracurricular uh, positions, go for a scholarship program. Go to AIM, apply for a scholarship program. You can do this. Many, it's not just me who's been able to do it. Many others have been able to do this. And AIM happens to like physics majors. If you want to do data science, I think they are giving data science uh, scholarships for, for the MS. There are three physics PhDs running uh, the MS data science program in, in AIM. There. Let's move on to the next page, please. But anyway, I'm getting used to it. Okay, now, uh, somebody asked me for, no, when I was preparing this, somebody said, why don't we, you know, give examples of what physics majors can do? Um, there was a discussion on blockchain and cryptocurrency, but let me tell you, that is not my favorite technology. My favorite technology is robotic process automation. What does this mean, you know? In banking and in any service industry, one of the biggest issues is turnaround time. You queue up because the, because the factory or the counter takes forever to reply to you. Robotic process automation can translate all these manual, repetitive, boring tasks, error-prone tasks into, into a process that lasts for a split second sometimes. That's what we're doing now. We're, we're, we're examining all the processes we have in the bank from account opening to the approval of, uh, of auto loans and other, other approvals. 
we have programmed those boring steps and transferred them to a virtual robot who does all those. No? Uh, what's the result? The result is the turnaround time is much, much faster. And our clerks are able to do much more. They become much more productive uh, as a result and clients are happy. The great thing about this is cost gets reduced as well. The example I gave you earlier that we did at City Savings Bank is a crude form of robotic process automation. Uh, I was just talking to somebody, uh, a, somebody who runs a consultancy company in, in Manila uh, two days ago, and he told me that he had 52 RPA developers. This, this technology is going to be much, much more important in the future. Of course, we can do blockchain. I, I studied blockchain. We had uh, some blockchain applications. Now, you might be asking, what's my position on uh, cryptocurrency? Uh, we're just experimenting with it. We're, we're, we're keeping it close because we don't know what's going to happen with the cryptocurrency technology. But for now, it's not really amounting to anything much. Why? Because it still cannot compete with money. Uh, money needs to be a reliable store of value, uh, something that you can freely exchange, and a standard by which you can uh, value other things with. You can do that with dollars and pesos. Pesos and dollars, they can be all three. But crypto takes, uh, crypto is difficult. If you do, if you understand or you study how Bitcoin works, Bitcoin requires certain validation steps that take about 10 minutes per validation. So a transaction that's embedded into the Bitcoin branches can take one hour, up to one hour to validate. Now, if you're buying pizza, you cannot wait for one hour. Uh, when I was traveling in, in Europe uh, three years ago, I saw a taxi which had a sign, we accept Bitcoin. So I, I took a picture of it and I realized, how can that happen? If it takes one hour to validate a Bitcoin transaction, what? You'll be stuck in the curb for one hour? Won't work. But the great thing about Bitcoin is not the cryptocurrency itself or crypto in general, it's not the current cryptocurrency itself, but the underlying distributed ledger technology. Uh, Hong Kong is experimenting uh, on using that technology for trade finance. I'm not sure how successful it is. I'm going to check on it, but it looks like it's something that can work. Uh, uh, the great thing about distributed ledger technology is that it can maintain the sanctity of data because data becomes immutable. If you have a thousand nodes, for example, every single one of, the, of those thousand nodes will have exactly the same, uh, same record. So if, if anybody tampers with one or two of those other nodes, it will not change the sanctity of the data because everybody else uh, or almost everybody else will still have the original uh, uh, the original authentic or correct data. The challenge lang now with distributed technology, distributed ledgers is the following one. If you have a thousand nodes, 
you have a thousand honeypots. If somebody wants to steal information from you, they can choose any one of those thousand to go after. That's one, cybersecurity. Second, as the ledgers gather more and more information, your usage, uh, your logistics for usage becomes more and more uh, demanding. Uh, hopefully over time, storage will be much cheaper. Uh, it is happening, no, it's much cheaper, but you, you will have to keep adding and adding and adding, it becomes more expensive. Uh, third is speed. No? As I mentioned to you earlier, uh, blockchain tends to have uh, speed issues. No? It has capacity issues, so it doesn't move as fast as normal things, but eventually it will. No? One of these days, they will figure out a solution. Next page, please. So I, I talked about data science. Um, we're using it for targeting banking leads for credit scoring. Uh, we have a 25 person data science team led by a chief data scientist. We're using machine learning. I know that you guys do machine learning uh, already. So when I heard that, I said, wow, perfect. You know, Some of you guys should join me. The other thing is we're also using this to go against bad people. You've heard of anti-money laundering. Uh, you've heard of... Uh, online sexual exploitation of children. You know, you've heard of that, you know, money coming in, etc. There is a way to detect patterns. If they change their patterns, we can use uh, artificial intelligence to find those bad people, okay? And, and I'm very, very obsessed about finding those guys. So we need technology uh, of digitization, they heavy data analytics, especially machine learning is helping us do that. You know? Machine learning is helping us figure out who those bad people are. Next, uh, online. Uh, I'm very happy about our mobile app. It's the highest rated mobile app in the country. Uh, there was a study or somebody put this uh, on Facebook two weeks ago, our rating was 4.2. The guy next to us, the rating was 3.8, the next was 3.7. So we must have done something really good. Uh, if you don't have an account with us, please consider. You know, we do more, we have more features than, uh, than those offered by our competitors. How did that happen? Well, you just work at it, you know, you just, put the features in, get, get a, a, a fast set of, of uh, software developers working on it again and again, and, and, and have a, a UX specialist and UI specialist to make sure that it come out, comes out beautiful and useful. Uh, I'm not sure whether you guys have, have thought of being certified in uh, UX. No, I, I suggest you consider that as well. I, I went through a UX certification from uh, the British Computer Society myself. I thought I almost failed. It was scary, but I was doing this with a lot of young people. Uh, next page. Oh, we also do this. Uh, oh, ito, I haven't talked about this car tech. You probably have heard of this. When we did this car tech, 
we said, why don't we have something that's taglish uh, so that everybody understands? We are working on the next version of taglish. We will not tell you which dialects we're going to be doing, but I think you can guess what the next version will be. Uh, this has been very popular. Uh, more than 3 million have downloaded the Discartec uh, mobile app and 1.5 million new accounts were, were open. We're doing this because we want more Filipinos to open more accounts. Okay. The good thing here is that you can open an account under three minutes, assuming of course you have an ID and a working signal. Imagine that, open an account in three minutes without going to a branch. We can do this and you can be with us doing this. Next, next page, climate change. There are two things that are our advocacies, apart from digitization, which, which is a general tool for us for, for all sorts of advocacies. To us, really, it's financial inclusion and climate change. So we've been working on a lot of deals. Now, we were the sole lender to the largest solar power plant in Southeast Asia. This was in Vietnam. And just recently, we did the second big project, this time on on a wind farm, uh, very near that same location. So if you love doing renewables, you can be a corporate banker and we'd appreciate, uh, we'd appreciate technical skills. We like to hire engineers, math and physics majors and other technical skills into our corporate banking group. So you can be a traditional banker in quotation marks, but be equipped with a different set of skills credit and all those other skills, you will learn it here. Next, next page, please. I'm ending with this page showing the Mactan Bridge because we are also the lead lender or the lead bank for the third Mactan Bridge, which is on the other side. I, I was there uh, last year when we signed, uh, when we launched the bridge. Um, I'm hoping to join uh, the opening of the bridge. I think it's uh, 500 years after Magellan. I think that was their target. Uh, I hope there won't be COVID by then. I'm, I'm really looking forward to going back to Cebu uh, to see it happening and to see people smile because they don't have to go via Mandawe and all those holes dug by DPWH and come to Cebu much more quickly. Now, I, those are what I've prepared. I hope I, I was able to show you what's possible with a physics degree in other parts of, of uh, in other careers, uh, seemingly totally unrelated uh, to physics. Maybe the only, the only things I can add are, you know, just to stress, the technical degree is very important, but to move up, you need to learn and practice leadership skills. Second, after you master or after you finish your physics or even master a specific discipline in physics, it is best that you master another discipline to mix with it. In my case, it was business. Uh, and third, 
there's no substitute for hard work. There's no substitute for hard work. When I, when I went to AIM, I had zero knowledge of business, but since I had no money then, there was nowhere to go during weekends. All I did was study. I finished all my cases, read everything, uh, not on a Friday night because that's drinking night. You know, I learned that uh, as a resident in Blessed Arnold, drinking every Friday evening. Saturday morning, I start studying. So by Sunday, I would have finished one week's worth of cases. So when my classmates come that Sunday evening and they just starting to study, I've already done all my work and I could just sit down and be relaxed uh, without them realizing that I've done all the work already. See, hard work, hard work. Hard work is the greatest equalizer. I think I'll, I'll end with that. And if you have any questions for me, I'd be so happy to answer them. Thank you so much, Sir Acevedo. Now we do have compiled a couple of questions from our audience. So why don't we start with uh, Lindley. He says, hello, sir. Very inspiring talk. I am currently a physics student in USC who is very much interested in the field of data science and finance. Do you have any advice to students like me who are still starting to explore this field? My first advice, okay, two things. One, apply to a data science team. Start working on it. You don't realize it, but you already have many of those skills that are needed. The second thing is uh, you can either take a master's, there are there's AIM, uh, there's a data science program AIM. You can apply for that if you get in, perfect. No, they, they love physics majors there. You can also be a working student and take the master's in analytics in Mapua, which is taught by SAS. No? It's a powerful program as well. Uh, many of my data scientists take the Mapua program. Uh, the teachers are foreigners. They... Uh, Many of my stat majors actually prefer that, so they, they don't have to stop. Uh, they don't have to stop working just to study. So you can do you can do it two ways. And finally, get in touch with me. Uh, we should have a running conversation on this, and uh, I'm looking forward to helping uh, many of you. I like mentoring young people. Uh, I'm open to mentoring uh, several of you. Whoever wants to be mentored, you know, you can just get in touch with me, send me notes, and I'll connect you. I'll connect you. I know, I know the guys who run the Mapua program. I also know uh, those who run the AIM program, and I have a data science team that is hiring data scientists. Uh, that's a clue. We just hired another three people last week. And I still don't have USC physics majors applying. We'll get there. <laughs> okay, so we have another question. Yes. Would you like to proceed? Um, from May, what advice can you give to the students that are afraid to study or having a hard time studying physics? Fear, fear is a legitimate emotion. 
when I was on my third year, I started having fear for my physics major exams and subjects. So it's, it's natural. Fear is natural. You just have to, if you don't understand it, uh, just go into a, a study group with one of your colleagues. Sometimes it just doesn't get in. Eh? Uh, but if, if all you have experienced from high school is fear for physics, then physics is not for you. Better to, to get into, into something else and make physics a hobby and make physics a hobby. Uh, or, or read those books written by uh, physics PhDs, which we physics majors do not read. Yeah, I, ho I hope that was insightful to Ms. May. Uh, now we have a more controversial question from Beverly. Yes. Just curious, how long have you felt like you wanted to do something in science as a career, given how our country looks at scientists? Ah. Uh. That has changed. That has changed because now the private sector has realized that uh, scientists are important. For example, AIM, this data science program is a new thing. There's even, they're launching the PhD in data science uh, program. I think this year they have six students, I think. Um, more and more top corporations are employing scientists. The problem with being reliant on the public sector is it's never sustainable. Uh, the salaries are low to start with and the opportunities are difficult to come by. But if it's the private sector that's sponsoring, that's needing the resources, uh, then the story is much different. Take note that it's not just RCBC that's going through a digital transformation exercise. Almost every single conglomerate is going through this. Almost every single conglomerate is trying to organize a data science team. SM is organizing a data science team. The Lushotan Group is organizing another one to take to put together uh, Philippine Airlines data and use it uh, as a proxy for 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 credit scoring potential borrowers for PNB. Gokongwei is doing that using Cebu Pacific Data, Robinson's Bank, and Robinson's Department Store, putting it together. San Miguel is trying to do something similar. You know, you don't realize it maybe, but you guys, you have fantastic potential. Fantastic potential. So don't look at the public sector. The private sector is the way to go. So that question, which I used to ask a long time ago, I don't have to ask now. You guys are lucky. You guys are lucky. I, I want scientists. I want you. And I can give you fulfilling careers. You don't have to, to move to the dark side. You can still continue to do science and, and feel good about yourselves. You don't have... Right now, you can still do science in the private sector and still be a Jedi. I'm afraid what the dark side entails for the oh, science no. community. No, no dark side now, no dark side. <laughs> I guess you mentioned something about uh, 
RCBC and other banks going online and investing in online banking, right? So with the situation right now, some business establishments are being encouraged to go cashless. So do you think, uh, do you see a future wherein uh, the world or uh, we would go cashless, uh, maybe not 100%, but maybe most of our transactions would be cashless? Hi, Sus. Ang problema, good Annie, is I think three years ago, only 1% was, or put it differently, 90, we were 99% cash, I think four or five years ago. Uh, now, especially because of COVID, I wouldn't say thanks to COVID, but especially because of COVID, uh, uh, the, the amount of electronic payments has gone up by a lot. No? Uh, there was a month this year when 500,000 Filipinos new, were new accounts doing InstaPay. No? Uh, in the past, wala, gamayra, but since people cannot go out, they're using uh, InstaPay. I'm not sure whether you guys used InstaPay. They're using InstaPay to pay their friends. No? Um, and that's been going uh, pretty well. And the usage is exponential. The growth in usage has been exponential. However, there will still be a lot of cash. There will still be a lot of cash. Uh, in the provinces, for example, there will still be cash-based. Uh, but more and more, I think we should reach 20% uh, non-cash soon. Uh, that's my expectation. Now, ang ako lang i-add ani by is, you know, when Irvin, when people think about digitization, they often think about the mobile app because it's sexy, diba? Uh, Gcash, etc. But fixing the factory is even more important. Fixing the factory through robotic process automation is much more important. Nanuman, when you do that, kasi, ang imong benefit is immediate. You start cutting costs by a lot. You improve productivity of people. You improve the customer experience. Okay, mas paspas man ang delivery. And when that happens, there's an immediate financial impact to the company. It is not sexy. It is not a mobile app. But that is how businesses are run. Businesses are not meant to be sexy. Maybe a bit of it. But businesses are meant to be efficient and businesses are meant to be profitable. And in that less sexy part of digital transformation, we are spending a lot of our efforts on. And uh, many of you can, you can also join in that, especially those who have uh, industrial engineering type backgrounds. That's perfect for them. I have... Um, I have dozens of industrial engineers who are familiar with their digital transformation tools who are perfect for, for the business process re-engineering exercise. I don't need to call it digital transformation. I prefer to call it business process re-engineering. But really, it's also digital transformation. Okay. Uh, so we have a, a couple of questions. Do you mind uh, answering go ahead, them? Go ahead. I think uh, we have a question from our last speaker, Francis Talio. Oh. Uh, how does RCBC deal with the manpower redundancy due to the bank's aggressive digital transformation? Do you develop your automation tools in-house? In um, I'll, I'll answer the last, uh, last question first. We, 
we have partners. We partner with fintech companies and uh, the usual technology providers, uh, mostly because uh, it doesn't. You don't have to build in-house expertise. No, uh, I want in-house expertise in project management, but certain things like if I want a chatbot. Uh, I'll just get the best chatbot uh, suppliers. For example, now we're running two chatbot uh, developments at the same time. No? Uh, so, we're, so we're doing a combination, but as the technology becomes something that we do more and more of, we build in-house expertise as a result. Okay. The second thing is we have switched our hiring strategy. Instead of hiring the usual types of people, we froze that. And we, we said, freeze the hiring of regular operations officers, et cetera. We are now, uh, we have switched it with a bias towards people with technical degrees, data scientists, uh, engineers, uh, developers. We are, we are switching them. No? Now, what happens to those, to, to the others that, uh, are already in the bank. We can improve their skills as well. No? So we, we've been digitizing them up. Uh, so for example, all our bankers in the branches, the relationship managers in the branches have been going through a lot of digital uh, training programs to turn them into digital bankers no? or digital savvy bankers. It's a reskilling exercise, Francis. It's a major reskilling exercise. Para nobody gets left behind. No, uh, we give everybody a chance to change. No, it's like, you know, Francis. You'll probably not uh, relate to this, but my example is the switch from typewriter to word processing. I was a fresh grad when that happened, and I tell you. Uh, People were hanging on for dear life, you know, hanging on to their typewriters for dear life. But eventually, through training, uh, the typewriters disappeared. So this is another one of those uh, processes. I have, I have faith in that many of my colleagues will be able to, to make uh, that change. And uh, it's been happening naman. No? I, I've seen it happening uh, positively, no, and it's, you know, there's fear, of course, that they'd be left behind, but we'll just have to keep teaching, teaching, teaching them. Okay, so we have another question from Raylan. Is yeah. RCBC considering an addendum to its digital banking for direct trading online platforms like Philstocks or eToro? Uh, yeah, 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 We're, uh, we have a project along those lines. Uh, we have something already uh, using Technistock, uh, but we're working on 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 another uh, on another platform. The the trick is this: ganito, no? I have, I can only think, you know. I'll I'll, I'll show you something. Huh? those whiteboards there, those are all projects that we're working on, and. And many of them are digital projects. So I, when I sit in my table, I see that every day. So Mikey, who's here with me, we go through that list. We say things like, uh, 
you know, uh, digital transformation of our card business, etc. Uh, we have all those things. We have to choose what to do first. No, uh, clearly, uh, equity trading to me is an important thing in the future, but it doesn't carry as much juice right now. So we've decided to. We did not do it first, but we're looking at it right now, and we're we have a project along those lines. That can pa among gusto ng buhaton nga, for example, credit card. I I mentioned it already. We want the credit card experience to be fully digital. Application is digital. Everything else digital. In our credit card, if you want to convert a purchase into installments. You just open the mobile app, and in three clicks, it's done. You don't have to call our call center. No, nobody wants to call a call center. Any any service that requires a call to a call center is bound to make people angry. You guys have called call centers, and it's the one of the worst experiences. The best way to do this is to put it into the mobile app. So you don't have to call, you don't have to wait, and you don't have to go to confession afterwards because you said pistingawa so many times, no? You're solving the millennials' problem of fear of calling. Yeah, now we we we're we're improving the experience everywhere. It's daghan lagi ugaing kuskinang lambohaton, daghan yun. I always say pastilan, you know. I've been saying pastilan for. It's never perfect, but we keep approaching the ideal. No, I think the digital transformation journey is simply uh, making an effort to keep approaching the ideal and be persistent about it without without losing without losing the passion of pursuit, without losing the passion for that pursuit. You can tell that I really love my job, guys. I really love what I do. So we have extended quite a bit. Uh, do you mind if I ask uh, one last question? Sure, sure. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, this is less technical, I think. Uh, from Hill, what books about finance can you recommend for the young generation? And is there a specific one that transitioned you from physics to the field of business? Hmm. Okay. Don't read books. Get into edX and Coursera. Okay. Don't read. That's counterproductive. Don't read books. edX and Coursera. Why? Because edX and Coursera have curated lectures that the schools put forward their best professors and their best syllabus. When I learned blockchain and all those other things that I learned recently, I did not read a book. I went through courses. Now, many of the courses in edX and Coursera and a few others are free. You will only pay if you want a certification, but you can go through the course material for free. It's already there. You don't have to buy a book. edX and Coursera was, were what I did the last five years. That's exactly the same thing I'll recommend uh, to you. They have really good courses and they have good courses. Uh, 
uh, on many things. With me, because there was not one book that made a difference. Um, if there was, maybe it was the accounting book, just so I would learn debits and credits, which still confuses the hell out of me to this day. Uh, but it's courses, several courses that will help you transition. It will not be a book, several courses that will help you transition. Naita, usan na lang ka question, pagutan mo lakao, 6.15 na di ay. Okay, so uh, before we go, uh, you had a moment where you were not able to hire physicists, di ba? So what sets a physics graduate to other people who graduated in other fields? Um, okay. I'll give you an answer by somebody close to mine, uh, close to me. And the answer was, Eugene, when people find out that you're a physics major, they immediately will be sure that you are not a dumb person. At the end of the day, it's that. Uh, nobody ever calls a physics major a dumb person. Showing up with a physics degree, uh, it's like an announcement to say that I can help you. I have a good, uh, I have a good pair of, of lobes between my ears. Uh, if you give me sufficient training, I'll work hard and I'll get it done. Uh, a physics degree gives everybody else that confidence, I think. And that is, I think, what matters. What matters a lot more than any other degree, maybe except electrical engineering. Okay. The physics degree gives, uh, it's a confidence booster that you have the high potential, you can learn, and you can be whatever it is that you, you or the company wants you to be. I think that's probably going to be uh, my answer to, to that question. Okay, so unfortunately, that brings us to the end of the last episode of this webinar series. Is there anything else that you would like to say to our, our live audience, Mr. Acevedo? Um, it just hit my. It just hit me now. No, uh, this is what I was. This is what I'll say. No. Do not discount yourself. Have confidence. You are brilliant. You are in that course because you're bloody brilliant. Do not sell yourself short. Be ambitious. The world is out there. You can be whatever you want to be. You may not reach your targets, but you'll get very far. Um, I am not an exception. What I've done, you can do as well yourselves. Just don't sell yourself short. Be ambitious. Be ambitious. And if you have any doubts, connect with me on Facebook and Instagram and we'll talk about it. Thank you so much, Mr. Acevedo, for such an inspiring talk. It is an honor to have you as our guest, our last guest. And thank you for taking time to be to appear in our show and for joining us in our exploration in the possible career paths in physics. So unfortunately, this will be the last installment. Uh, thank you so much, sir. Uh, next week, though, we will have a, a, 
annual event held by uh, the Carolinian Sorry. Physics and Astronomy Society. Uh, we will be holding Astro Week. So check out our Facebook page for more information on that matter. And lastly, we would like to thank Edward Kaluya and Claude Siniza for sponsoring this webinar and to the organizers of the Carolinian Physics and Astronomy Society for making this web event possible. Thank you so much, Mr. Acevedo, and to the live audience for joining us today. Once again, I am Irvin from the Carolinian Physics and Astronomy Society, and I'll see you guys soon. Thank you. Thank you very much.